0: calling family, um, you just you need help because whatever has happened, either planned, maybe you caused it, maybe you didn't cause it, whatever it is, it's a complete crisis, and I want you just to get in your mind that that feeling, okay, of, 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 of what that's like emotionally, and then let me tell you a true story about a crisis that I had in my life. About 15 years ago, me and my wife were catching a flight to go to San Francisco. I was going to a media conference out there. I was part of a church. I was their media pastor, director, and so I was going out there to do some training. And having four kids, it's just when you and your wife can get, a, you know, go on a trip without the kids, it's, it's not just a vacation. I mean, it's just, like, it's just like unbelievable freedom that you've left the kids, you know, four kids with grandma and grandpa, and you're now uh, going... Somewhere, it's just it's it's kind of hard hard to imagine that if you've not had that experience. So we're just all excited, and we go to the airport, and uh, we pulled up in the front, turned the blinkers on, opened the trunk. We took our baggage and we took them up right up to the counter and where they uh, check you in, give your tickets, and we uh, got checked in, and we went boarded the plane. It was just it was awesome. It's just that feeling like we're in the air. And we were about at 37,000 feet, I think somewhere over Kansas, when my wife looked at me and said, after we checked the bags in, did you go back and park the car? (laughs) And I was like, um, I really like to say yes, that I know that I did that. But in my mind, I'm now wondering, because I can't remember doing that. She was like, no, seriously, you went back and moved the car, right, to long-term parking. And I was like, hmm. I might need to make a phone call when we land, you know, just to, uh, and uh, so at that moment, panic kind of set in, and I'm thinking, oh my word, what have I done? And so we landed, and I immediately bolted, and I called my brother, who happened to work a couple miles from the airport, and I'm like, Todd, I need you to stop whatever you're doing, Uh, and I don't, you may be meeting with the president of the company right now, I need you just to stop that, and I need you to go to the airport and see if my car is in front of the airport, or Uh, if it's not, would you uh, try to figure out where it is? And um, so he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a hide-a-key on it, one of those magnetic things. And I said, here's where the key is. If it is still there, would you please move it into long-term parking? And so then I hung up the phone. And then there were like 15 minutes that seemed about like 15 days, you know, of just waiting. I'm just looking at the phone, just like, call back Todd, call back Todd, call back Todd. So he finally calls back, and I'm like, okay, what? And he's like, okay, the car was there. The trunk was still up, and the blinkers were still going. This was pre-9-11, okay? So this was before they would, you know, uh, have put me in jail. If this was after 9-11, I probably would not be here today. I would be in prison uh, for, for doing that. And uh, he said, well, you got a parking ticket. And I'm like, a parking ticket? And he's like, yeah, there was a $10 parking ticket on your windshield, which at that point, I was not worried about at all. Which, funny thing, he took the car, parked it in long-term parking. It cost me a lot more money to have my car parked in long-term parking than it did for the $10. I thought, I should have just left it there for four days. You know, I just, of course, it wouldn't have been there. But anyway, uh, now now that's a funny story of a crisis, okay? that It's funny now. My wife can tell you I wasn't really laughing when it happened. I was completely freaking out and panicking because I didn't know what 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 to do, but all of us have been in a crisis where you're just kind of panic strikes, you're not really sure what to do, and this feeling of I'm totally over my head and I don't know how this thing is going to end. Now, I tell you to think about that because this morning we're going to look at a story in the Gospel of John that's a story about a crisis. And those same emotions that I felt, those same emotions that you feel are going to be in this story. And what I want you to I want you just to, to be able to unpack it. And so, look at the Gospel of John, if you brought a Bible, if you have a smart phone or however you follow that, look up God's word, or I'm going to put some scriptures up on the screen, but I want you to see today in the gospel of John, the story of a crisis. And it's the story of Jesus and his sick friend, Lazarus. And if you grew up in church, you've probably heard the story before and you know how the story ends, but don't get to the ending yet, because what I want to challenge you is in the middle of the story, there are some fascinating things that happen. And I think some real things that we can learn from, but... I want you to understand the characters, to look at the characters, and I want to pull out the tension in the story and see how it applies to you and I. So we're in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 3. And here's what we read. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Now, I like what it says in the King James Version, which is slightly different in that verse, it says, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Now hold on to that word love because we're going to come back to it just in a few moments. But earlier in the passage, it reveals to us that the two sisters are Mary and Martha. And if you're familiar with the New Testament and you've read through some of the gospels, you know that they were two people that Jesus did have a friendship with and had several encounters. In fact, Mary is the one that poured perfume, very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and then wiped it up with her hair. That that was her. Martha is one that we find in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus was going through her town. He needed a place to stay. Martha opened up her home to allow Jesus to stay there. So these are two people who were were friends and it's interesting that I think that they send the message to Jesus that Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Okay? I think if, if you go with me, I think they wanted to make sure that that was in there, that the one whom you love. Now, Jesus had previously raised two people from the dead by the time we get to this passage in John chapter 11. In the book of Luke chapter 7, there was a widow's son in the city of Nain that was dead. They brought Jesus here. He raised the son back to life. In Luke chapter 8, there was a synagogue leader named Jairus, and he had a daughter. And Jairus' daughter had died, and Jesus um, raised that daughter from the dead, So it wasn't like this was Jesus' first rodeo in dealing with sick people and people who had passed away, okay? He'd kind of done that before. But it's almost in the story as if you can hear Mary and Martha telling these people to go tell Jesus. Now tell Jesus that the one who you love is sick. It's, remember, the one who you love. His name's Lazarus. The one who you, you got, the one who you love. Make sure that that's in there. Don't forget that. That's very important. You got it. When you see him, make sure he knows that. And so it's safe to assume that they expected Jesus, whenever he heard this, his friend Lazarus was very sick, they expected Jesus to go all 911, like bust it to Bethany and get there and, and solve their problem. As only you can imagine, when you're in a crisis, you know, we, we would just want things to happen immediately. Look at verse four. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, go get me on the next direct stop, nonstop camel to Bethany. No, that's not what he said. He, he didn't say that. He said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So Jesus was rather calm about this whole situation. Mary and Martha, totally freaking out. Jesus, pretty calm about it. But he gave them a promise. Did you catch the promise that he gave them? Lazarus will not stay dead. That was his promise. He's like straight up, Lazarus will not stay dead. Now, the next verse is foundational to the story, so don't miss verse 5, okay? This is what we read in verse 5. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, now let's stop right there, because we see the word love again. This is the second time we see that word. The word in the original language in the original Greek in which the New Testament was written, the word love there is a different word than it is in verse three. In the Greek language, they had six words for love. In the English language, we just kind of have one word. I mean, you love tacos, you love your dog, you love your mom, you may love your boss, uh, you may love uh, the Hoosiers. I mean, there's like, we just use love as this real broad word. In the Greek language, they had six very different kinds of love. And verse three love and verse five love are very different loves. Now let's take just a quick lesson. Verse three, the Greek word is phileo, which is a brotherly love. So Mary and Martha were saying, Jesus, the one who you have this brotherly love for is sick okay? Verse 5, the word for love is agape, which is a sacrificial love that speaks of the most powerful, noblest type of love, which is rarely the type of love that's ever used from one human being to another, because it's the type of love that is totally unconditional. It's mostly used talking about God's love for you and I. It's the love that led Jesus to the cross to die for our sins. It's that type of love. So in verse three, they're like, you know, Jesus kind of loved, you know, Lazarus were buddies, pals, you know, he cared for him. In verse five, the type of love, is very different because it is extremely, extremely deep kind of love that in many cases God possesses for you and I and for his people. Now, it's important to understand that difference in love because what is going to happen next is going to seem like going to conflict a little bit with verse 5, okay? If you forget verse 5, verse 6 is going to become harsh, Because what happens next is going to seem like Jesus didn't love them. Look at verse 6. Jesus stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, if you think that verse doesn't make sense to you, it really didn't make sense to Mary and Martha. Because they were having a crisis. They needed Jesus to come. They said, the one whom you love is sick. They needed him. They wanted him to be there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stays where he's at for two days. So, like, when I called my brother on the phone and said, Todd, I need you to get to the airport and move my car, if 48 hours later I called him and he was like, ah, I haven't quite gotten around to it yet, Dan, I would be like, I'm going to kill you when I get home, all right? I, I will literally kill you when I get home because you have not gone and helped me with my car. So y- y- you can understand they're having a crisis. And Jesus didn't immediately go to Bethany to fix their crisis. After two days, after two days, when he is ready to leave, look at what he says to his disciples in verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Well, yeah, you, you waited that long. Now he's he's dead now. And for your sakes, notice this, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Now, what was he doing? I mean, this is his friend, And he has his friends need him. And and Jesus is talking about he's glad that he's dead for your sake, so now you will believe. But Jesus was in control. And I believe he wanted Mary and Martha and his disciples to trust him. He wanted more than anything else he wanted them to trust him. And he needed them to trust him. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. So, Jesus was late. And what had happened was the family and Mary and Martha and, and everyone there had moved from panic, crisis, now just into grief. It's, it's already happened. Lazarus is dead now. Jesus, if you could have been here, you could have maybe fixed it, but you weren't. We don't know what you were doing, taking your time, but, you know, we just accept what's happened now. They no longer looked at Jesus as the one who was a solution to their problem. Now, all of a sudden, they see him as a fellow griever. Like, you could have fixed this, Jesus, but now you really can't, and now, you know, you can just come and grieve with us. Look how Martha greets Jesus, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, notice this in the story. Martha had decided that Jesus was powerful, but only powerful to a point. Okay, she didn't think that he was able to help her any longer. He had been able to help her. She had faith to a certain degree. That's why she called him. Now she's like, well, if you would have been here, then you could have helped, but I I know you're a busy man. You got lots of things to do. So um, now just grieve with us. But you know, you and I are very tempted to do the very same thing when we get in a crisis. We are very tempted to think, God, I have faith in you. You can help me. I know that you are there for me until we hit a certain point. And when we hit a certain point, we're like, okay, God, I I guess I'm on my own. I've been praying. I've been asking. I've been pleading. I've been doing all these things. And you've not shown up to do what I ask you to do. So maybe, maybe you can't handle this. About 21 years ago, um, my wife and I were excited to be exp- expecting our second child, and um, it wasn't very long I- into it. W- w- Pam started feeling like things weren't right, so we went uh, to see the doctor. The doctor did ultrasound, and we got that phone call, and they said, "You've lost the baby." And I remember in that moment, kind of thinking, "Well, I don't, I don't quite understand. It. We lost the baby. Like, wh- what?" why is this supposed to happen to us? Like, I I don't get it. And in my mind, I'm saying things like, okay, God, okay, I'm a pastor, okay? So I've like done, I went to school to understand how to teach the Bible. And so I thought maybe I had some brownie points with you. And you know, I work for a church. So um, I teach people about the Bible. So like, should I not get a little bit extra credit maybe that you know, that you give us a pass on this kind of stuff? Because it just doesn't seem like this is what should be happening to me. Like, th- that you ought to maybe uphold your end of the bargain, and it doesn't feel like you're upholding your end of the bargain right now. And I was struggling to see how God could do, how anything good could come from this experience. And I really doubted whether Jesus could help me in this crisis. Because I'm like, okay, I, it's too late now. baby's gone. I mean, what, what? like, you know, Jesus, you could have saved the, the child. You, you could have helped us now. You know, maybe do medicine or different things, but here we are, and it's just kind of, it's kind of late now. It's just, just what it is. And Mary did the same thing in this story. She didn't trust that Jesus could help her any longer. Look at verse 42. Our Martha didn't. When, When Mary arrived, which is the other sister, and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And just like Mary and Martha, you and I struggle to trust Christ when we're in a crisis because it's hard to trust Jesus when you unexpectedly lose your job. That's hard. It's hard to trust Jesus when you go to the doctor and the diagnosis that, this, that they come up with is not what you wanted to hear. And they don't really have a great plan for how to fix it. All of a sudden in that crisis is when our test, our faith becomes tested It's very difficult to trust God when for years and years and years and years a young couple has faced infertility and wonders if they're ever gonna have a child and everyone else around them has a child and they go to church and there's a baby dedication and they just want a child. It gets very, very, very hard to trust God. It's very hard to trust Jesus. When you're not accepted into the degree program that you studied for and you got an undergraduate degree in and you've been spending the last four or five or six years and who knows how much amount of money, maybe six figures in, in, in education, and then all of a sudden you, you get the letter that said, no, sorry, you didn't get chosen. And you're like, what's up with that? It's hard to trust God when you have a death of a loved one especially when, when that's more of a surprise and maybe you thought well, that person wasn't very old and all of a sudden, you know, you get the phone call and you find out that um, there was an accident or this person's passed away. It's hard to trust God when you're financially struggling, when there's really not enough money and maybe things have happened, circumstances, and you're looking and you're, you know, you're doing the math and there's just not enough money to do the things or take care of the things that you know need to be taken care of. It's, it's hard. It's very difficult to trust Christ. It's also hard to trust Christ when someone breaks your heart. Someone that made promises to you. Someone that you thought you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And then you now you find out like that was different. You don't know whether to trust them. Was it all a lie? You, You don't really know how to feel about it. It's hard. It's hard. And in every crisis, you and I have a decision to make when we have that crisis. Now, I want to share this principle with you, and if you've kind of zoned out on me, and you're thinking about where you're going to eat lunch now, or maybe you forgot to buy your dad a gift, and you're trying to figure out how you can get that taken care of without him knowing that you forgot, uh, just zone back in for me, okay? All right, here's the principle that I want you to see. If I don't trust Christ in everything, I will eventually not trust him in anything, okay? If I don't trust Christ in everything, I will eventually not trust him in anything. And the, in, in this story, what you have going on is Mary and Martha trusted Christ to a certain point, but when it really got hard, when it really looked bleak, they were like, uh, you know, he, he can do some miracles, but wish he would have been here, wish he would have fixed this one. We don't really know why he didn't, but this just doesn't seem like he can really come through for me now. And look at how the doubt affected Jesus in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35 Then Jesus wept. For the longest time, I thought that Jesus wept because he was sad. He was sad that Lazarus had died. He was sad that the people were sad and he was grieving with them. What I have come to learn is that the reason Jesus wept, the reason he was angry, the reason he was deeply troubled was that the people in the story did not believe the promise that he had made earlier that he was going to be there and fix the solution. They had given up on him. They felt like this is, a, this is too much for you, Jesus. This is bigger than what you can you can do. If you would have been here, you would have been able to do something, but since whatever reason you weren't, now this is like over your head and um, we're not sure that you can do anything about it. And that's what broke Jesus' heart. The unbelief of his people grieved him and they hurt him and he had a plan, but the family broke his heart when they did not believe And you know what? It breaks God's heart still today when you and I don't trust that he is big enough to deal with the things that we have to deal with, with the crisis that we face. And everyone in here has a different story and a different crisis. But the one thing that's true about all of us is no matter how big it is, God has promised us that he would be there every step of the way, that he would provide, that that he would take it upon him to, to bring out a solution. And when we get to the point where we're like, I, you know, I just, I don't think you can do this anymore. It grieves the heart of God. So we're going to take a quick pause on that story and i want to share with you right now four truths for trusting god when you're in a crisis and then we're going to pick up the story here at the end these are things that that personally helped me things that i've learned along the way that i think are really practical and when you find yourself in a crisis when you find yourself going like "I, i i'm not i'm ready to give up on god i'm not sure that god can come through i want you to remember these four things okay here's the first one commit to trust god and not listen to doubters commit to trust God and his promises and not listen to the doubters. If you're familiar with the story of Job in the Old Testament, you know that Job was a guy who was a very wealthy man, successful business owner, and in a matter of 24 hours, almost everything that he had got wiped out. And in the story, what happens is he has some of his friends come and they come to give him some advice. And they're like, Job, here's what you need to do. You need to curse God and die. That that is horrible advice, okay? But his best friends tell him, if we were you, we'd just curse God and just kill ourselves, you know, which is not extremely helpful to Job. In the story, he does not listen to his friends, but it happens all the time. You know, in, in a dark moment in my life, I had a good friend that I went to and shared what was going on in my life, and he gives me advice. And after I think about it, I'm like, that's not good advice. Like, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't factor in God being faithful. That doesn't factor in God being able to really help, help me. And my friend was very well intended, but the advice that he gave me did not include trusting God. And so Mary and Martha saw a closed door when Lazarus was sick and they saw another closed door when he died. They saw another closed door when Jesus didn't come. So make sure you surround yourself with godly mature voices. Second piece of advice is leave God's closed doors closed. (laughs) If God closes a door, no matter what he's doing in the crisis, Don't force the door open. Allow God to close doors because God has more doors. He doesn't run out of doors, okay? We look at situations and think, oh, man, I'm I'm thinking it's bottom of the ninth inning. It's full count, you know, and I'm down a few runs. I don't see how I'm going to get out of this. God doesn't see it that way. God's got plenty of other closed doors. I left a ministry position uh, in my life. I was a senior pastor at a church, and a lot of conflict. Felt like God said, you need to walk away from this. And I had no plan B. And I remember talking to Pam. I have no plan B. I mean, I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family, but I feel very clear that God's saying, you just need to walk away from this and trust me that I will take care of your family. And that was a very hard decision that we wrestled with and wrestled with and wrestled with. And finally felt like, you know what, if we believe in this God that we claim we believe in, that's what we need to do because he's telling me that he would do it. And I wish I had more time to explain to you how God, over the next weeks and months, answered that prayer and provided. And over and over, I was blown away by how God came through on his promise because we just did exactly what he said. So when God closes doors, leave God's doors closed. You don't have to force them open. You don't want to force them open. You just want to leave them open and know that he's got more doors and that he will provide another one. Third truth, rehearse how Jesus has delivered in the past. Remember how Jesus has delivered you and delivered other people and been faithful in the past. The main characters of this story had seen Jesus do miracles First-hand eyewitnesses they had seen Jesus do miracles, which you think would have made them have a little more faith in him. In fact, there's 37 miracles recorded in the New Testament that Jesus performed. And most scholars believe that raising Lazarus was number 33. Okay, so this is not like one of the first miracles. This is, this is far on in Jesus's ministry. These people had witnessed 32 other miracles, or at least part, part of them, or maybe some of them had seen all of them. He had walked on water. Some of them have seen him walk on water. He'd cast out demons from this man and sent him into a a herd of pigs and the herd of pigs went off of a cliff and they watched that amazing thing happen right before their eyes. This was before YouTube was invented. I'm sure if YouTube would have been invented, someone would have had a clip, you know, had their phone out and uh, they'd have a million hits on on that video alone. They'd seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a little boy's happy meal. And he fed 5,000 people and there was food left over and they had witnessed that. They had seen Jesus spit in his hand, rub it on a man's eyes who was totally blind and he received sight. They had seen that. They had seen Jesus take a fish, open up its mouth, pull gold coins out of it and tell his disciples to go pay their taxes with that money. They had seen these things and they saw all this, all that Jesus could do but they should have known. But somehow in the story of Lazarus, they kind of forgot. They were like, I don't think he can really do this. He's done a lot of really cool things that we can't explain, but I don't think he can do this. But remember what we talked about earlier, if I don't trust Christ in everything, I will eventually trust him in, I will not trust him in anything. And that's what happened in the story. God's faithfulness is not conditional upon difficulty okay? He, he, he does not care about the difficulty level. It's not like Olympic diving, you know, where some dives are harder than others, and he can only do the easy ones. He can't really do the hard ones. He can do the hard ones. In fact, he specializes in the hard ones. Now, fourth truth. Remember the promise in verse five. Remember the promise in verse five, which was how Christ loved Lazarus and how he loves us. Not with this brotherly love, not this you're my friend, you're my buddy, you're my pal, let's do lunch, or I really like you. No, he loved Lazarus and loved Mary and Martha with this unconditional, deep kind of love. The same love that took him to the cross to die for their sins. The same love that he has for you and I. So whenever we face a crisis, whenever we face a trial, whenever we are overwhelmed, whenever we are over our head, we need to remember that verse that God loves us at such a level that I think at times we are not even fully capable of understanding the depth of his love. And so when you find yourself over your head, remember that God loves you in that way. It's not that he's forgotten. It's not that he doesn't have a plan. It's not that he's not going to come through. In fact, he's got some timing that you and I don't even fully understand, but he is well aware of the need and the crisis and what it is that you're facing and completely capable of stepping in and solving it to the degree that will bring him glory and honor. So let's look at verse 40 of how this story wraps up and some of you know how it ends. Verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you, that you would see God's glory if you believe. So they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 33, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And then I think this part's funny. Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him go. I, I mean, I, I see Jesus, Lazarus walking out, you know, looking like a mummy, you know, like on a Scooby-Doo cartoon. And he's stumbling around. He's got toilet paper wrapped around his head and everything. And all the people are just standing there looking at him. And Jesus is like, could somebody like unwrap his face? The guy can't, poor guy can't even see. You know, he's stumbling around. He's going to fall and hurt himself and hit his head and he's going to die again. I'm going to have to do this all over again. But God loves you and me with the same intensity and the same commitment that he loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And Jesus needs you and I to trust him whenever we face a crisis because he is trustworthy. So whenever you find yourself in those situations, I want you to remember those four truths. Commit yourself to trusting God and not listening to doubters leave god's closed doors closed don't try to open them rehearse how jesus has delivered you from the past and remember the promise in verse five that god loves you with such a deep love that he will never leave you or forsake you let me close this in prayer hey father thank you for uh, allowing us to open up this story and look at it today and uh see the truth that um that you want us to share. And so Father, I, uh, on behalf of just myself, um, I ask for forgiveness for the times when I, um, when I doubt you and when I don't really think that you're capable of coming through. When I think that I'm in something that's bigger than what you can deal with or I think that you're too busy or I think that you're far away or I think that uh, whatever it is that I come up and think, I ask for forgiveness for the times when I don't believe that you can do what you said you would do. And I forget that over and over you have been a God who has done the things that he said he would do. And Father, the evil one is so quick to come in and put doubt into our lives. And so we confess that uh, we are people that simply run out of faith sometimes. And uh, we see it in that story. And in that story, we see ourselves. And Father, I just pray that uh, this story would be a reminder that you are a God who specializes in doing things that are impossible. You are a God who comes through, that you are a God who is brokenhearted when your people doubt that you can do what you said you can do. And so Father, give us the strength, give us Um, The patience to trust you, to love you, and to continue serving, and knowing that you will take whatever crisis we face, whatever thing that is in front of us that seems insurmountable and over our head, and you will take it, and you will work it out in your timing into something that is beautiful. Father, pour your Spirit out upon us, and we thank you for this story. We thank you for your love for us through your Son, Jesus. Amen.